Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up, and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, a man whose fashion sense I found out apparently mimics college women currently in 2022, Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Why do you say that? Because I just got back from Happy Valley this weekend for the Penn State game, and everyone, I have never seen more bucket hats back in the mix than I did this weekend on their campus really interesting nice okay I'm, i like to i'm usually i usually find myself trendy just from like following my own heart and mind you know what i'm saying i'm always on the the other side of the influencer uh a little bit before my time some would say but uh yes i'm glad i'm, I'm glad i'm with the the cool chicks of of college yeah, I was uh, truly amazed at the entire setup there, and I appreciate you thinking that you have just dodged the trends and you're not heavily influenced by the algorithm like everybody else. We're wearing no, they what they were, want us to wear, Brandon. 
You were in Happy Valley. It was a bunch of white bucket hats. It was. It, it was so strange. And we got a great show today. As always, download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Make sure you check out the YouTube page as well, at DraftKings uh, YouTube channel. Subscribe to that and the Gojo of Michael Jr. playlist. Um, we'll give you a, we're going to get a rundown of the entire slate of NFL games. We're going to try one time again, one thought, yes. one item for each NFL game from the slate of games this weekend, and we'll see how that goes. Um, we've also got Monday Morning Roses to give out yes. around here because we are going to remember and hold ourselves accountable for that this week because you mm-hmm. deserve that. We've got a World Series matchup set. we got a lot of stuff going on today um but Brandon you mentioned the the all white thing so I was at my college football game that I covered this weekend was Minnesota at Penn State it was my first time heading out to Happy Valley I had never been there for uh, the whiteout game which was interesting to me because when you think of the Penn State whiteout game I feel like for college football fans it's one of those things you feel like has been around a lot longer than it actually has. Like the play like a champion sign at Notre Dame got started during the Holtz era. It's not been there nearly as long as most people would expect it is given the fact that Notre Dame's a place steeped in tradition. So is Penn state. Like the first sanctioned whiteout at Penn state was in 2007. It was the year before you and I got to Notre Dame. And the first whiteout was the Notre Dame Penn state game in 2007 when a bunch of our classmates got to go out to Happy Valley and play the Nittany Lions. All of I've, that was stuff that I learned for the first time heading into the game this week because I just thought that tradition had been a lot older, like most things surrounding Penn State football, because it's one of those big tried-and-true blue blood programs. Like most college football players, when you first get to college, uh, the team is usually talking about this great game that happened the season before. That was it for me, Mike. It was a, hearing Golden Tate talk about I think it was the first time Golden really got reps as a re- wide receiver, and Charlie Weiss was just like uh, jaw- jawing at the DBs uh, for Penn State. They're all white game in the 07 game and said, just try to guard them. And uh, apparently Golden Tate never left the field after that game. So there's there's folklore around that whiteout game that I had no idea about. But it, I, that's so random that it was the first time against Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean they've they've only been doing it technically since 2007, but seeing it in person, one, it truly like was a college football bucket list item for me going into mm-hmm. that and lived up to the hype and then some. It was one of the most unique atmospheres in college football. Peak college football day. Beautiful weather. Seeing the tailgate scene at a school that's has what something like north of 30,000 undergrad students on campus such a different vantage point than That's you know insane. going to school at a place with 8500 undergrad and the tailgate size and such that reflects that but the other thing that threw me off Brandon the all white makes it look like a cult I was going to I was going to say Mike I, you know me and you know where I come from and you know where my mind always is and I was I was going to I was going to refrain from telling you how uh, uncomfortable it makes me but uh, I'm glad that the whites well, are having their fun in the all whites and we're like we're thinking of a different cult, but like because I saw it yes. and Mina Kimes had tweeted about her love of the leftovers from HBO, which is a show yes. that I adored, and it reminded me of the Guilty Remnant. I saw the students who come in hours early into the stadium, set together in their pockets of white, and I was like, oh, okay, they remember. I mean, it, it, <laughs> they remember, and it ties back to what you and Charlotte Wilder talked about, where. 
this is a religious uh, practice, especially when everyone's wearing all white in the purest form and uh, go out there and get their, their butt beat by Michigan. Oh, no, I'm sorry. By, go was, out there and I, beat listen. up on Minnesota. Yes, exactly. Do not, do not send them back <laughs> in the time machine here. They got enough things heading their way with the Ohio State matchup coming up this weekend. But, no, it was, it was awesome. The Penn State, uh, the Berkey Creamery on campus there, best ice cream place I've been to at a college campus so far. Freakish. Stop. Freakish. It's a palace. Really? A, Brandon, these Penn State people treat ice cream like it is their religion. I walked into that place, and it is pristine. It is it is a house built to honor ice cream on that campus. I thought that I is... wanted to... I wanted to walk in and be able to say it was overrated. I had people chirping me when I put out a list of campus or campus tangent ice cream spots I visited during my kind of uh, my fall football tour here. Nah, this one lived up to it, and the portions massive, the flavors really? rich and wonderful. It top to bottom was an experience that I can truly say going to the creamery at Penn State was an experience. This uh, this adds to my evidence that Penn State and Pennsylvania as a whole is really just Northeast Indiana. The fact that they're uh, handling ice cream and cream so seriously. So, Brandon, listen, Thank you for that. I, as we had the discussion last week, you don't have to be geographically located in the Midwest to be in the Midwest. And spiritually, <laughs> our brothers and sisters in Western PA qualify for that so that was fun experience awesome to check that out this weekend we'll have plenty more on college football tomorrow as we usually do on the podcast during the week here but brandon we had a busy nfl sunday that we talked about going into the weekend didn't really have banner matchups anywhere across the board um you know kind of struggling to have i think this week there was only one matchup this was the stat there was only one matchup between two teams that were both at or above 500 and it was the Colts Titans matchup everything else because of the teams that we had on the bye was a struggle fest which is crazy because after I looked at it the Colts Titans just played like we're we're already at the point in the season where we have that y'all just played uh yeah the unique NFL phenomenon of oh shit we've got to play blank again right yes and and in division phenomenon as well so yes so we uh we had that going on and so we thought it'd be a good opportunity to try and go back and revisit one time where we go through the slate of NFL games and attempt to give just one thought on it and I can already feel the ground shifting below me and it's not my first Los Angeles earthquake so Brandon we're gonna give (laughs) we're gonna give this a shot chills yeah uh, that's scary shit Mike once that happens once that happens you, you can't unthink about it you can't undo it like it's it's an anxiety that 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 happens living in Los Angeles that's below the, below the surface for everyone, and you just remember Literally. when that shit happened. Like my first one, I remember running to the TV and just grabbing it because I was like, I can't lose this. <laughs> I can't. Wait, wait. <laughs> so i i do want to i do want to just for clarity's sake for people that have been listening to this podcast for a while when brandon was living out in los angeles he did not yet have two either of his two beautiful children I did not. so if you're thinking this man ran to his tv instead of to either of his children in the midst of earthquake induced panic that was not the case that was not the case well I should have I should have ran to my wife, but she was in the shower, so I didn't really know how real it was for her in there. Uh, you know, sometimes you... 
don't know. I don't know if she's like gonna slip and fall. My dog started barking well before the, the, the real tremors hit and I just saw that TV wiggling and I ran over, but grabbed it both hands. Oh, gosh, Mike, my my soul. It was like a child at that point. <laughs> hey, listen, when you're in when you're in your twenties and don't yet have kids, or in my case, when you're in your thirties <laughs> and don't yet have a wife and kids, sometimes your TV can be that important. So hey, or uh, premium yeah. on campus. Yes, listen, we all got our shit. We all got our shit. We're just trying to make it through on the space rock. All right, uh, let's go one time through the NFL weekend, Brandon. Um, we'll start it off here and work towards Sunday night football. These games are not in chronological or 1 uh, o'clock to 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern window order, so don't come at me. I organize these by order of interesting. And for that reason, Brandon, let's start off with this. Uh, Panthers 21 Buccaneers three, uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks are now losers of four of their last five, including the last two, which really ramp up the embarrassing meter of a Pittsburgh Steelers team that made a quarterback change because Kenny Pickett got hurt after the rookie Kenny Pickett was starting in that game. <laughs> And against a Panthers team that appears to be at least somewhat in fire sale mode. I know a lot of people want to bring up the T word and use it like it's something bad. The Panthers should tank. The Panthers are bad and their quarterbacks are beat up. They sold off Christian McCaffrey because he's an expensive running back. But uh, the rest of those dudes and that core that he left behind between Shaq Thompson, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, and then on offense, what you've got with DJ Moore, balled the fuck out and made life really <laughs> uncomfortable for this Buccaneers team. So, Brandon, uh, I-, I would say coming off this one, as much as we're going to talk about, like Tom Brady's the headline, right? Like Tom Brady and this offense, for some yes. reason, were able to only put up three points. And <laughs> play calling seems like it's become an issue. Tom Brady and these receivers being on the same page because you had Chris Godwin out there and you had Mike Evans out there and you had Russell Gage out there. You had the dudes all out there on the field. They just all took turns not making plays between receivers dropping passes, Brady putting them off the mark. I'm still shocked that the Bucks defense let the yes. Panthers run all over them. 176 rushing yards against the Panthers team. I I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I couldn't make that part make sense because the rest of it, maybe I've reconciled myself to the fact that like injury in the beginning of this season to so many players in that wide receiver room, the lack of continuity on the field, obviously Tom's off the field stuff and the, and the offensive line issues all taking a while to work themselves out. I keep looking and going, all right, there's still a bunch of talent in that room. And eventually that side's going to be able to make it work defensively. I can find a lot fewer things to throw their way to help as to why P.J. Walker's led Panthers offense was able to just run right through you. I, I think it's as clear as the Bucks don't know what they're fighting for. And as lackluster as playoff Lenny has looked out there on the field, one of the reasons why they the Bucks are the worst running uh, rushing team going into this game, it looks like everyone's starting to feed off of that a little bit. Right, like even even that uh, Mike Evans drop uh, at the beginning of the game that obviously one of many, but that was the the first big one. And I think in the post game press conference, Tom Brady got asked like, did that have uh, did that have anything to do with the momentum of the game? It's like, no, that was the first play of the game. But 
I, I will say everyone looks a little bit disinterested right now. Everyone looks a little bit perturbed. Everyone looks like they're thinking about Tom Brady in the back of their head. Like, like Tom Brady is the reason why they'll have to win these games. And if he hasn't got it, then they don't got it. I wrote down lack of urgency is what kind of stuck mm. out to your point about yeah. that. And, and, and that's a hard thing to levy at a group because you're not down in the sideline or in the meeting True. rooms. And you don't know, but it still is just different. Like, we had gotten used to in the last few weeks just so much attributing Tom Brady cursing out his team as passion locked in, all those things. But it, it does manifest in other ways. I think the thing that you brought up, too, about the rushing attack is interesting um, and how unsuccessful they've been. Leonard Fournette certainly mm-hmm. doesn't look like himself, but you also have an offensive line that's had to rotate at left guard after their rookie. Uh, their rookie. I think Luke Gedeke is his name, uh, has really struggled in the last few games. And... When we look around at all of the different styles of offense in the NFL right now, right? You have that wide zone scheme that's become so prevalent uh, amongst the McVay and Shanahan teams. That's a really good scheme to erase some of the deficiencies your offensive line might have. Now, having a really good offensive line in that scheme certainly is a force multiplier. But when you're just running east and west and trying to get people moving fast like that, it can help you overcome one or two guys on your line not being so great. And I say that as a former, you know, slightly above average college offensive lineman who loved running wide zone because it's 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 good equalizer getting people running move. east and west. When you mm-hmm. run what the Buccaneers run, which is a lot of heavy down-the-middle runs that lead to heavy down-the-middle play-action pass shots that are like big gap scheme plays inside zone and duo – it's a lot harder to hide because you're right at the point of attack. And if you're getting beat so quickly right at the point of attack, it really starts to negatively affect this run scheme. And when you don't have as built into the system, a lot of those plays that are going to alleviate that for the line, you can add more tight ends in and make this, you know, where you flatten out the line and you put two or three guys on the edge like that to try and help. But beyond that, if you're, operating the way that they do I think that negative impact shows up a lot quicker so that's definitely something to keep an eye on for them but uh yeah Brandon this is I I think a kind of a good segue into the second team on here because they're sort of connected commanders 23 Packers 21 are people scared of Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers anymore I think at at this point in time they're licking their chops at this point in time of season they're licking their chops to play them at this point in time in the season. Yes. At yes, this point yes, in time. Yes. Because we're still acknowledging that as we go along, these would be two teams that you are very, very afraid of because of those quarterbacks if this still got anywhere near the postseason. Is that the insinuation? I would say so if the coaches weren't what they were. I feel like there's too much. I don't know what's going on between Ty Bowles and, and Tom Brady. I don't know if they even need to be on the same accord because obviously Brian Leftwich is still there, who's supposed to be the one who's really orchestrating the offense, which I imagine he is. But when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, I think there's just too much strife there between him and, and Matt LaFleur and, and his teammates and players. And he had the babysitter in the room and Randall Cobb, and he's out now. So I, I don't know who's there to uh, to babysit that wide receiver room like they need to. But – the best wide receiver for the Packers right now is uh, Adam Jones. <laughs> like he's just—he's just the most talented uh, with his hands. The most sure. Excuse me, Adam Jones. Yeah, Aaron Jones. Um, yeah, he's the most sure, sure-handed 
a catcher catcher of the football for that team. It the Packers are so interesting, man. You talked about a lack of urgency for the Bucks. Packers are a sloppy football team right now. That's the the one thing that sloppy. showed up over and over again in this game. Like huge pen, penalties that ended up being negative impacts, drive killers, illegal procedure plays, unsportsmanlike conduct plays, like ones that showed up in a game where the Packers did not convert a third down during this game. Now, late in the game, when you had a touchdown drive for the Packers, they had two first downs aided by penalties, but did not themselves pick up any offensive uh, uh, offensive third downs. And so much of that just seemed to go back to, they were starting in bad downs and distances. And between being kind of sloppy and then just not having any dudes on this team like that's why we keep going back to the Bucks conversation like maybe they get it turned around because Mike Evans and Chris Godwin still live there and there's guys you can look at and say yes confirm talent that we know is good keep looking around this Packers <laughs> team man waiting for it to pop up and it's just not there's nothing that pushes the ball downfield for them that they can count, like no one they can count on to get open down the field. And Aaron Rodgers just is not in the category where he's throwing dudes open anymore right now. Like, I don't know what's going on That's with Aaron Rodgers, but we used to just have the Aaron Rodgers that if you had a f- sliver open by you was going to stick the ball right in that spot and it was going mm-hmm. to be good for the Packers going down the field. Now it looks a lot more haphazard. Now it just looks like a guy taking chances downfield on some of these plays trying to make something happen because within the body of the offense, whatever simplification did or didn't go on, and they still use plenty of motion and they still move guys around plenty in a way that seems to not be what Aaron Rodgers wants anymore, it, it didn't get many people easily open and the quarterback is no longer able to erase that. So if you don't have anyone special on the outside right now at receiver and injuries part of that, David Bakhtiari was out again this game, so you had the O-line shuffled around. No uh, Randall Cobb, like you mentioned, I don't know what this team is supposed to do because on the other side, their defense got bullied again. Like Their defense got pushed yeah. around up front, and that's still something that I have to just get over because I thought that defensive roster was a lot better going into the season than it's actually been. Uh, yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers is kind of having whiplash about that too because he's always operated with – this has always been the narrative for him is what's, where is the talent around him except for a couple of guys when it comes to offensive weapons. But one thing he could always lean on is that defense being a little stout. The fact that the Washington Commanders, Mike, without Carson Wentz, scored 20 unanswered points. And you're talking about that one wide receiver and the one weapon – I think, obviously, we know the commanders have that. And they they made sure he yes. got paid last year. And he came out and, and balled out. Brandon, that's the total difference is the commanders made plays in the passing game that were there. Like, they made the big splash, plas- big splash passing uh, plays in this game. It was. Yeah. It was Terry McLaurin coming back, finding ways, especially down the stretch, to make the plays that helped ice that game. Um, Taylor Heineke, we know he's good for some YOLO balls. He's slippery in the pocket. He was a grease pig when they were in that run uh, that challenged the Buccaneers in the playoffs that season. And he was a grease pig yesterday going out there against this Packers outfit. But it, it, it still does not excuse that from a defense. Jair Alexander was back. He, he was there. And you saw him make some plays. This is a defense that had a pick six, like – Seven of the 21 points that got scored for the Packers were by the defense, so I don't want to totally negate their effort because they were able to do that. But 
they got the ball run on them up front when it mattered most down the stretch of that game. And you had a wide receiver and a quarterback that were able to come together and make plays on one side versus the other side. The Packers constantly falling short, and it's not a one-off. That's been a theme for this season, and so I can't just act like it was one bad day. You ready for spin zone, Mike? Yes. The Packers desperately miss Nathaniel Hackett. You like that one? I do like that one. Now, it's Devontae Adams erasure, which is the oh, real okay. problem at the heart of all this. Like That may be the real one, but that's not the sexy one, Mike. <laughs> that is not the sexy one. You're right. Brandon, Brandon Newman making Nathaniel Hackett <laughs> sexy again. Nathaniel Hackett, future Alabama um, analyst at some point oh, in the next few wow. years here. Wow. I mean, that's slander. Okay, continue. It, uh... Listen, take it, take it. It might, it might be a little, uh, maybe that one was a little ugly of me, but yeah, I, I mean, when it comes down to it for both of these two teams, like right now, there is nothing to be afraid of with these teams. And I know we're all afraid of sticking a fork in either of these guys between Brady or Rogers, because they've made so many people look silly. The Max Kellerman clip that will haunt him for the rest of his career. Right. I, I understand all those things, but right now these are bad football teams and they are found they have a bad foundation at this point because both sides. And I know in today's NFL, this isn't as important. Although this season, you could argue resurgence for teams getting under center, a few more mm -hmm. teams defined by moving the football on the ground that we've seen in recent years, the Buccaneers and the Packers can't stop the run in any meaningful way on defense and on offense, their offensive lines. They walked into the season, both, Different and changed up front because of injury, retirement, and otherwise along the offensive line in ways that have clearly affected production. And then both lost, you know, Devontae Adams, the best receiver in the NFL. That departure, we tried to do a lot more of, or we probably should have focused more on what are the Packers going to do without Devontae Adams right. than we did what are the Chiefs going to do without Tyreek Hill because the answer on Ooh. one side is a lot more resounding than the other. But for Tom Brady, and I want to give the credit to Mina Kimes because she was the first one that said this to me, was he misses Gronk. Like when you talk about a security blanket yeah. that someone's had for a long time in an area of the mm -hmm. field, and I'd be curious, I haven't pulled it up, but the Tom Brady heat map from the game last night was back to looking a lot more like the Bruce Arians offense where they're painting the sidelines with deep passes as opposed to right. the deep over the middle stuff that defined Brady's tenure in New England for so many years that largely involved a tight end that he could trust. And Kyle Rudolph, our buddy, got in the mix again last night. You've still got Cam Brate. You've still got Otten in there. You've got a, a tight end room that has some reps under task there, but – it's just different. Even I know the regular season wasn't necessarily what they had brought Gronk back for when he did come back. It just still, I think that was a great point by her that both of these pl uh, players walked into the season without something that had been a rock and a foundational element for them. That's a good point. And we don't do enough of that. Uh, and obviously Aaron Rodgers got Randall Cobb, but like, that's like a 2010-2012 security blanket a little bit. Um, but one thing that's really interesting is that you talk about not being afraid of these teams anymore. I think you're still afraid of the names, right? When it comes to, and not even just, not even just the quarterbacks. I think the teams as well, the names of the teams are still should give you some pause, but at the end of the day, when it comes to just getting out there and playing the football, 
Because I do think those two offenses are probably one of the least creative that we've seen on Sunday. And maybe that's not fair to say, but I haven't seen a bunch of like, oh, I haven't seen anything like that before from those offenses. It makes those wins that much better because there is some fear going into those games for those opposing teams. Well, it, but it's it's reputation-based, right? It's not what you see when you turn on the film at this point right. for these right. teams. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. – we, we can talk about this year's NFC because – when you look at the you know division in the north where the Packers are, the Vikings are going to win that division. It seems pretty clear at this point that they're building towards being the team for that division. But then beyond that, you know the Bears and the Lions aren't very good, so you're going to have an opportunity as a wild card team in an NFC that's chock full of lesser teams this year. And there's sure. a very real chance that they can show up. You know the Bucks were still walking into this weekend, and I believe still are first in the NFC South, which is a terrifying indictment of that division. So they're going to have opportunities. And again, I don't think it keeps going this bad for the Buccaneers, at least right now. Because, yeah, they are. They're tied for first with the Falcons in the NFC South, which is dark and full of terrors. (laughs) The Falcons who came back to earth this week. Well, you know what? We'll get to that one in a few, because I think that might be less about the Falcons coming back down to earth and more about another team, um kind of finding okay. their way back to where they've been used to. So uh, let's move on to the next game here, Brandon. Uh, I I think the answer for are people still scared of Brady and Rodgers is yes, if they've been around long enough to know what those guys are. If you're someone who's new around here, you've probably grown up watching them, and right now during the regular season, don't have to worry much about this. But as we get further and further down here, I think that specter of what they've done is going to loom large. But right now, these are two quarterbacks that are inconsistent at best with teams that are inconsistent at best in the Packers and the Bucks, and they're not really teams that you have to fear on the field at this point because I I can't point to either one of them and go, this is what you do well, especially offensively. No, that's completely fair. Let me me segue to the next game, Mike, because when we were talking about the biggest narrative pushes for this week, you mentioned that Dak Prescott losing to this Lions team would be terrible and I was like I don't know I think Tom Brady losing to the worst team in football may be a little bit uh, more serious but I feel like you may have been right because now that the game is done if the Cowboys had lost that game against the Lions it would have looked a little bit different because it seems like this after this Brady loss to the to the um to the to the the Panthers people are kind of not losing their minds as much as I thought they might it, yeah, I I think it's I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they already won their championship there, and I think even subconsciously okay, that does that's a difference in how we address that team, just because they accomplished what they set out to do with Tom Brady a couple of years ago, and we understand that both of these quarterbacks may have now slightly overstayed their welcomes as far as the battle versus father time that LeBron James is talking about and uh, publicizing in his commercials right now. But that seems to also be a very real battle for Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. So I, I think that's why. And it was it was a good point. And I mean, God, only scoring three points is a huge embarrassing note for that offense. And we probably yes. should be making an even bigger deal out of it than we are. But um, Cowboys 24, Lions 6, we mentioned that would have been an ugly one. And... Um, Jared Goff made sure that that wasn't the case, accounting for four turnovers on his own in this game. But 
Brandon, I was super encouraged. This is exactly what the game plan was supposed to be like. This is what we have been begging the Cowboys to do. And while it didn't look perfect, that just might not be how the Cowboys win this season. They're going to win with a defense that was a part of two uh, two interceptions and two fumbles. Dak Prescott barely had to break 200 yards passing in this game. They had 32 rushing attempts versus 25 passing attempts. And Zeke Elliott out here hurtling people. Tony Pollard and him both being very productive. And Dak Prescott, like, they were able to get him a bunny as far as his first passing touchdown of the season late in this game when they were down on the goal line. They had a timeout, and it was rightly pointed out by Tony Romo in the broadcast. Like, I'm sure they went over and lobbied for that and said, all right, if we can get the perfect play, and it was like second and second or third and short down by the goal line, and mm-hmm. if we can get the perfect play where Dak Prescott understands, all right, if it's not wide open or right there, I can't get this thing intercepted. we got to be able to go in and end this game on our terms. Dak's mature enough to do that, and then they went out there and got him that, so it was a good moment. It shows up in the stat sheet. People can all recognize that, but... This is how the Cowboys are winning games right now is their defense going out there and smacking the shit out of people and then they didn't force too much on the hands of Dak. I get it was the I get it was the Lions. This was the perfect soft landing spot defensively for him to come True. back and get this done. But they still have to do that and that kind of restraint is not something that we always associate with the Cowboys so I want to give them credit when it pops up. Yeah, no, it's worth it. And like like you said, I think it's important for that offense as a whole. Dak Prescott, his first touchdown drive was this uh, of the season was was against the Lions uh, yesterday. Also, Ezekiel Elliott, first two touchdown game of the season came against the Lions uh, yesterday. So I think it's important for those, both of those guys to kind of walk away and pat themselves on the back, even if it is the Lions. Talking about names and reputation, uh, but the Cowboys. I mean. I won't overreact and say that I was I was talking about the Cowboys fans and the Cowboys nation and being a little bit worried, but it did not look obviously this was that coming back. So it's not supposed to look great, but it, he looked he looked hobbled in a way that the Bucks look hobbled in a sense of um, just well, not maybe not the Bucks. It looks like Dak Prescott coming back from an injury again. I guess we're right. so used to seeing this. You know what I mean? It just th- that game looked too much like it could have slipped away at any point in time by a decision by Dak. But but it didn't. And I think he still deserves credit for that as he's working his way back from injury right now. As does, and I think it's interesting now to frame it coming off the conversation we just had, the group in front of him. I know I'm predisposed to praising the Cowboys O-line because Zach plays there, but that's an offensive line that was beat up and shuffled around to start this season. We talk about the Packers and the Bucks all the time. This Cowboys offensive line was in dire straits to start the year with what happened. I mean, they went out and signed 41-year-old Jason Peters to the practice squad. That's how desperate they were to make sure that they got this thing addressed once you had Tyron Smith go down this season. You had a rookie that moved from left guard to left tackle right in the first game of the year. And so far, they've gone out and he's played Tyler Smith pretty damn well in stretches here that group has been solid as they've been leaned on more and more to cope with the loss of Dak Prescott for those five that five game stretch so they've addressed that in a way that those two other teams have failed to do so far and I think they deserve a lot of credit for that yeah but I think they're used to they've done a good job but I think they're used to blocking for Cooper Rush right now I think Aiden Hutchinson's two sacks uh, on Dak was indicative of 
Dak holding the ball a little bit longer than than Cooper Rush does, and obviously Dak Prescott gets the money. He's allowed to do that. Yeah, I mean, I I think we saw in the last game again, like Cooper Rush, that situation wasn't ever going to be close to perfect. Dak Prescott is a markedly better quarterback than him. We're he not going to go anywhere near that conversation. But, but, but deep balls, you have to hold the ball for that. Well, yeah, and listen, there are going to be parts of this offense that should be different and that should account for Dak Prescott's difference in talents between him and Cooper Rush. But like you said, it was the perfect game to wean him back onto this coming off of injury. They weren't going to be tested game script-wise to see what it looked like if they had to flip it into, all right, let's drop back and fuck this up mode. But it was all they could have asked for. This is healthy for the Cowboys, and healthy and the Dallas Cowboys – are not always two things that we can say overall like diagnoses for that organization and right now it seems like a healthy group that now got their quarterback back and got to reintroduce him in a way that was really safe easy and effective for everyone on that team um all right guys let's talk about Jägermeister they could have written a totally normal ad here like a really classic ad they could have talked about their history the 56 botanicals it could have been all salesy and cutesy but they know you don't care Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So, wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, we finally get to talk about a team that actually is really good on offense. Chiefs 44, Niners 23. Everyone's so focused on the fact that, yeah, Christian McCaffrey got a playbook that told him how to run outside zone and counter on his way over and on his flight over from Charlotte to San Francisco surprise surprise he was able to go out and execute that I for one am stunned that one of the better running backs in the league knew how to run outside zone and counter or some variant of toss and outside zone in there I don't want to diminish what he did because it's a wild week the fact that he is getting traded finding out this news flying over suited up and played in this game is legitimately insane that being said running back is also a position that is very conducive to that especially when the running back that we're talking about is one of the most versatile one of the best in the NFL yeah and I to be fair Mike those first two uh chunk plays were up the middle I don't know what the what counter play uh, was called but you're, you're right it was it was interesting to see it was fun to see but it also felt kind of wrong I, I love all the memes that are coming off of it of uh Christian McCaffrey realizing that he traded in Baker Mayfield for Jimmy G and uh again another Spider-Man meme of uh of uh you know who's worse uh, the same same um but oh i but i do think you can say that mike i still I, think that I, it's pretty it's I pretty would, impressive to see him switch teams and, and still do what he did by the way i would absolutely not make the baker mayfield and jimmy garoppolo comparison like i understand i've even said baker mayfield exists in that plane of quarterback that you're not going to win a game because but jimmy gets the credit for being a lot more consistent reliable baker mayfield's been the roller coaster jimmy's been a steady heartbeat of fine. It's good. It's good to hear you say that. It's good to hear you say something good about Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Well, yeah, I mean, listen, there's going to be plenty of other people that take shots of him after the game that we saw this past uh, this past weekend against the Chiefs because Jimmy G against pressure was not a good time. Jimmy G uh, giving the ball up to Kansas City. And that, but again, to me, spending time with that is a waste of time because that's going to come with the territory. It's why this franchise tried to replace that quarterback during the draft is because they understand there are limitations to what this guy can do when the situation is not perfect. And so often that 49ers offense is going to have you in a very perfect situation with the weapons like Christian McCaffrey that are out there. But Brandon, uh, this one to me was just about the Chiefs who are, I believe, yet again, number one in EPA per play, number one in a ton of offensive uh, categories. They were a buzzsaw going up against the number one scoring defense in the NFL. We mentioned, too, this 49ers team was one that was getting healthy. Now, Trent Williams at left tackle did not look himself, gave up a sack late in that game. I think that was the um, safety on Jimmy Garoppolo to Frank Clark in a way that would not happen if that man is fully healthy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, Nick Bosa back on the other side defensively, but this was about, number one, Andy Reid and company having it all dialed up for them, right? All the Miko Hardman's um, jet pa- jet sweeps underneath that get a defense off balance. The screen passes in there. Like, it was everything you should run against a 49ers D-line that wants to get upfield and cause hell. They made them think about it. That one first... T- I think it was the second touchdown to Miko Hardman was the perfect summary for that because they didn't even block Nick Bosa. They came up, they yeah. made him the read player on the end of that line, and then Patrick Mahomes flipped that thing to McCole Hardman while all the offensive linemen went running to block on the second level. And you saw Nick Bosa kind of do that stutter step where he realized, oh, I'm in the middle of traffic and there's no way for me to be right in this spot. And that frustration as a defensive player, as one of the guys that's a Ferrari out there, he's built to go fast, mm-hmm look great, hit hard. When you take that away from those guys in a way that the Chiefs game plan did this weekend, it's going to make life really hard for everybody. But Patrick Mahomes, man, I I said it when the Tyree Kill conversation started. You got your game-breaker playing quarterback on this team. And now that they're getting more consistent um, production, especially from Juju Smith-Schuster, the last few games have been big Juju games. 124 receiving yards again in this one. He's filled that role and one that they haven't really had of big body receiver who has mm-hmm. been very sure-handed in the last few games and makes those extra effort plays underneath. It looks different, but the big plays are still there in this offense. Big Marquez Valdez-Scantling game in this game as far as taking the top off of defense. But they they were smart, they were purposeful, and the talent is starting to show up on offense in a way that should continue to scare the shit out of everybody because that is the best offense in the NFL right now. I think the continuity, uh, obviously the talent's there, the continuity and the reps from things. Like this is the first game that obviously Patrick Mahomes has done his thing being the Harry Potter of the NFL. But the wide receivers for the Chiefs shined. And not even the wide receivers, the, the pass catchers. Uh, for the Chiefs shined in a way that they hadn't before because of all the yak yards and things like that. But it was one of the first times like, oh, now everyone else on that offense is understanding how they can slowly chunk play their way down the field, if that makes sense. It seems like they're even better today than they were against the Bills because of how they got beat by the Bills. They, they, they absolutely, you know what, that's actually an, an interesting point. 
Um, and obviously we talked about the differences between those two offenses, but that has been the adjustment for the Chiefs the last couple of years, and I think that's what we're seeing as much as anything is the benefit of them understanding who they had to be last year as the league changed how they defended them and who they had to be this year without Tyreek Hill as a field mover. Uh, You mentioned uh, some of the other pass catchers on this one. It was, and Mm -hmm. God, no new phenomenon has better branding it would go to me. It would go to me as far as things that have benefited from better branding. Brussels sprouts number one, pickleball <laughs> number two, and national tight end day at number three. The national Ooh. tight end day lobbyists yes. got out here and did their thing because every broadcast, every pregame show was showing them some love. I think it's because a lot of those guys are just really likable, right? We've seen the tight end you thing where it's Greg Olson and Travis Kelsey and George Kittle going there and shotgun and beers and all hanging out. It sounds like one big party down there at tight end you. And so when you get, and we had the two founders, basically, the poster children for modern tight ends going up against each other, who in Brandon, spooky, a yes. little, bit, little bit spooky, same exact stat line in this game. Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, both six catches for 98 yards for a 16.3-yard average in this game. Now, uh, George Kittle got in the end zone and Travis Kelsey didn't, but the Bash Bros of Tight End U and of National Tight End Day both made it happen. So, happy National Tight End Day to you and yours, to our friend Kyle Rudolph and the many Notre Dame tight ends in the NFL, because apparently that is a holiday of note now, because, again, they got the same agent that Brussels Sprouts got. (laughs) Same agent. They just knew we had to glaze that thing and put some uh, caramelized onions with it. Uh, But, yes, I think uh, I love seeing Greg Olson down there hugging the tight ends on tight end day. Like, it was just like a – obviously, it was a Fox game anyway, so it just felt like full circle because if it wasn't him, it would be uh, uh, Jason Witten. (laughs) Up up there in the booth. Damn, that that is true, though. Like, this is how deep the tight end, the national tight end day conspiracy goes. They made sure that Greg Olson was on that game with those guys. Yes. Yes. I'm telling you, man, Von Miller's got to be sick because Von Miller's the one that started this phenomenon of positional retreats in the offseason with the pass rush camp. Got to be sick because right now, tight end you has really cornered the market on publicity for this shit. Okay, so real, not real, football players that have played football on teams at any level already understand the type of person that is a tight end and that they're, like, very special in the way that both Travis Kelsey and George Kittle are special. But is there any other position that needs needs illuminating now? I feel like all the positions now have proper reps – um, and, and reputations and understanding of like the type of player that is is under that helmet. Oh, I think there's still a bunch that could potentially do that. I mean, God, running backs had to deal with people just saying they flat out don't matter. I feel like they could definitely use a good bit of PR here. Off-ball linebackers but don't get a ton of love. I don't think that's there, a position I feel like group. Those, those are those people that are like like running backs aren't like tight ends in the sense of personalities. Like, very seldom, like we had our, our our friend Jonas Gray, who was hilarious and very funny and like kind of a, a jokester and kids. But like running backs don't usually have that type of silly. Like Mark Ingram is probably one that you can go to of like that I was has say, like a good I, personality. I disagree. And, I think a bunch of these guys have really good personalities here. Running backs, running backs are more stoic than that. Running backs are too much like offensive linemen, honestly, when it comes to that. Oh, see, uh, I think can, running backs tend to skew more. Like they're just selfless wide receivers. Like they're that's they're, that, what is that? That's boring. 
Like no, like, that's like personalities. Stuff. You're saying the wide receiver room doesn't have personality. What wide receivers have you been around? No, I'm they they have plenty of personality, but selfless a selfless wide receiver is less personality. The same way as like you talk about off ball linebackers, I feel like those those are selfless DBs. Like those guys are just about winning in in team team ball. Oh my God! All right, we're we're moving we're moving on right here because your positional personality <laughs> chart here. If we were doing like the anagram test for position groups, I think your analysis would be a little bit off on a couple of these ones. Funny running backs really? exist, okay. and your erasure of them is it's ugly. Quite honestly, it reeks of the defensive bias that comes from your side of the ball. It's been, I thought that I thought that was beneath you. Apparently, I was wrong, which is why I will now punish you with Ravens twenty three, Browns twenty in this game. Brandon, what the fuck happens to the Ravens in the fourth quarter? I, I'm legitimately trying to figure it out because their attempt to lose games every week, and they managed to hold on and win this one. But I even remember talking to you yesterday; it didn't feel like that. No, it felt bad. It felt really bad to beat the Browns by three points. The Ravens won twenty three to twenty. Against uh, Jacoby Brissett and uh, Jonathan Peoples-Jones, or whatever his name is, Peoples-Jones. Donovan, and, Donovan uh, Peoples-Jones. Donovan, Donovan. Uh, <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones. <laughs> and and uh, the old Cowboys uh, wide receiver, uh, Amari Cooper. I don't know what is going on with the Ravens. They, they – Mike, I don't know. I don't know. They, they're not good enough on defense to keep people out of the end zone when it matters. Uh, they able they were able to actually you know butt up and keep the Browns out of the end zone, which was very surprising considering they really couldn't stop them. Uh, and they blew another double digit lead, Mike. This is the Ravens' sixth double digit lead, maybe their seventh double digit lead that they have lost. And I just really don't know what to do with that. It seems like they're actively in the middle of the pack when it comes to NFL. You had them uh, in your top five at one point. Maybe maybe they're sniffing at the, uh, at some point, but they're definitely in no one's – should be in no one's top ten or in no one's bottom ten of the NFL. I will say this as far as the defense, because I think you're right. A lot of the chaos and confusion has been on that side of the ball. Um, Shout-outs one time, Calais Campbell – Showing up back in the picture in a big-time way. Him and Justin Houston, as far as older ballers getting after the pass rushers. Justin Houston, who's dealt with some injuries so far this season, showed up in the picture right. big-time down the stretch of this game and went a long way in affecting the outcome on this. I think Calais Campbell had one of the strip sacks that ended up being the thing that put this game on ice. So for those guys, and we talk about this with Von Miller in the Bills room as far as being brought over to be not only an effective player and Vaughn a much more effective player than Justin Houston at this point, but also right. to be an effect on that room and some of the young pass rushers that you've got in there. Odafe Owe on the Ravens D line, um, right. having Justin Houston in there who I always love when people say like professional route runner or professional pass rusher, but that really yes. is Justin Houston's bag is someone who is as it complete is. a pass rusher as there is. And that's that showing but, up on the field as opposed to just in the meeting room was a welcome sight yesterday. Someone else, regardless of how many fingers they have, J Jason Pierre Paul, professional pass rusher, professional F up the play. I mean, you, you can look at everywhere he's been. He's been around the ball and his hands have been around whoever has the ball. So shout out to him. And it finally, it's nice that the Ravens finally got the D line right after an anemic D line for the last couple, a few years. But now it seems like everywhere else is kind of uh, straying. I, I feel like we have the players that you, you need on the DB side on the back end. 
but I just don't I just don't know where they're falling wrong, man. I Travis Jones, the the Connecticut D tackle, uh he gave up uh he gave up a big play on, on the goal line, in my opinion, to uh, let Nick Chubb get in there. I, I just, you're not seeing ballers ball. Like even Kyle Hamilton had his first sack of the season, and it seemed like the rest of the defense kind of left him hanging. It's like they didn't even, they didn't even like acknowledge the fact that like big up the young guy for getting, you know, getting to the quarterback finally. I don't know. It, it seems like they're doing, they have the right plays. They're not executing. It's weird on offense. I feel like the, this team has made a shift back into what it was before. Like the first three weeks, we talked about how much they were under center. This is the best passing offense in the NFL. They were doing some things that allowed Lamar to push it down the field. And you've got Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay both back in that wide receiver room. Bateman had been banged up for a little bit. But Lamar Jackson in this game, only 16 passing attempts the entire game. We're seeing a lot more of him involved in the run game than we did the first few weeks of that season. And so that sort of shift back into what they had been versus where they were trending is going to invite more people to ask questions about Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator. We know that's going to keep coming up because we feel like that's an offensive coordinator and a system that have kind of put limits on the development of Lamar Jackson past a certain point. You and I got to talk to him before the season. He is more than confident in his ability to go out there in an offense that asks more of you passing wise than they apparently right. seem to be running it there. So at some point, the rubber's going to have to meet the road on that. They get a win. It's a division win. It's an important. We shouldn't erase that. But yeah. it is. Yeah, uh, it, it's still been that one quarter has been so difficult for the Ravens that it seems like it's becoming as much mental as anything now where the minute something goes wrong, it's, oh, here we go again. And that doesn't bode well for the rest of the season. Um, Brandon Giants 23, Jags 17. Uh, our good friend Emerson Lazio once again gets to cry tears as the Jags ended up leading for the majority of this game and giving it up late to a Giants team that, I mean, Saquon Barkley continues to look incredible. Daniel Jones is sixth in QBR in the NFL this season, I think in large part because such a capable runner. We saw that on display yet again in this game. But man, man alive, will someone allow Trevor Lawrence to throw the ball downfield? This Jags offense just seems so content to cook him like a brisket low and slow and to not let our large blonde son be great. I hear you, Mike, but you got to get a fourth and inches uh, conversion if you want to pass the ball. Like, all of the quarterback greats have, have learned to convert on fourth and inches, and Trevor Lawrence is huge. He's a huge body, and he should not be, in, be stopped on fourth and inches. I don't even care if it is the Giants, Mike. I think that's, that's egregious. I saw, uh, I think it was Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders say yesterday, will someone teach these tall quarterbacks the Drew Brees pile jump? that he used for so many years where you've got six foot tall Drew Brees who used to take the ball on those under center plays and just yes. dive over and reach it over the pile. Trevor Lawrence is six, six. He's massive. You could argue maybe it's further distance to take the ball from bottom to top, but it is an interesting point thing. about what we see in those. He just like he disappeared under the line and it didn't, it was one of the first times I've seen no movement uh, on, on a quarterback sneak all season long. But, yes, I hear you, Mike, and, and I, I would like to rebut and retort by saying it was not the Jags that gave it away. The Giants went out there and took that thing away, and it seems like it's consistent with New York football teams, and we'll get to the Jets next, but I was impressed by how Saquon Barkley – it's it's weird to see a game-breaker in a running back position again, Mike. Is that oh. fair to say? Like, like yes. <laughs> it's just oh, crazy Brandon. to see it happen again. 
we were never sure we were going to get this guy back, and he's been legitimately dynamic. Him and Daniel Jones both over 100 yards in this game, which is something like, man, if you're an opposing defense, how is that not the first thing that you are taking away from Daniel Jones? Like, I get some of it's going to be on read. I get some of it's going to be on read option plays, but you've got to have a better plan for addressing because it's the best thing Daniel Jones does. And I don't mean that to slight him, but we know what this team's basis is. It's the best thing that he does is affect the game with his legs. And if you are going to constantly let him go out there and get that, then you're going to have operations that end up looking like this where you lose games late. Okay, 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 Mike. The best thing he does is one thing, but... It's not the only thing he does because he passes the ball decently well, especially uh, running and, and being out of the pocket and, and throwing the ball out of the pocket. Usually with Daniel Jones, if he's out of the pocket, he ain't throwing that thing. He's going to get about 10, 10, 12 yards and get out of bounds or or lower shoulder or, or slide, you know, all the things that quarterback can possibly do. But Daniel Jones seems to be in his bag when he's uh, moving his feet. But, Mike, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like he's he's more of a threat. Obviously, they're, they're six and one, Mike. He's a clear threat running the ball and throwing the ball, and that's why you can't shut one down because if you shut one down, the other one's going to get open. I'm not going to get too far up on the Daniel Mike, Jones praise. We have enough evidence. You can lean in. He's good like that. No, he's not, Brandon. Like he's he, Brandon, he's still a quarterback, and I put this poll up on Twitter a while back because I was legitimate. I legitimately wondered for Giants fans this far into the into the season what they thought the future should be for Daniel Jones a quarterback. Would you re-sign okay. him to a would you re-sign him to a big deal? Would you franchise tag him? Would you let him walk? And the consensus from everyone was Daniel Jones bring him back but only at the right price. Meaning you're not getting anywhere close to a market setter with him. You're probably going to end up having him play on the franchise tag or something similar to that or having him sign the Bortles deal that Jacksonville had Blake Bortles sign after he pulled off like one and a half months of good football in the middle of that season. Yes. But Daniel Jones like it's not it's not there's a reason they didn't pick up his fifth year option and that's still evident here. He's got limitations as a player and he is in year one of a new system that has definitely helped meet him where he is and put him in spots to go there. We also don't have to go too far the other way. And I don't feel like people are. This Giants team is not about Daniel Jones having taken some next step. When we talked to Julian Love on here, and this was not a slight, he said Daniel is doing a better job managing games this year. And I think that is a very accurate portrayal of this because this Giants team is about what they are doing in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Dexter Lawrence has been outstanding on that defensive line. Kayvon Thibodeau is being put in positions to affect this game the Giants O-line which got dealt a tough blow yesterday Evan Neal injured during that game I haven't seen the uh long-term outcome on that but that group of blocking their asses off for Saquon that's the identity of this team it's not Daniel Jones going out there and winning you games I think it is I think it is Mike and I think it can be and if it is not right now it can be because you talked about this 50 year player option getting picked up well he's gotten better every year and this is the first time he's got a system and a quarterback and this is the first consistency the Giants have seen at head coach in a very very long time since Tom Coughlin Mike so I think you have to think about the ceiling that Daniel Jones could possibly put out there honestly the only person that really made me start thinking about Daniel Jones differently was Kyle Kyle Rudolph when he came on here and talked about DG or what he's called DJ and when he gave him that little nickname I was like oh DJ 
Y'all calling y'all calling Daniel DJ? Like Eli Manning's pick for the draft? Y'all y'all really like him like that? And honestly, I'm rethinking. We were questioning the Giants for a long time. The more I see Daniel Jones play, the more I get quiet about questioning the Giants for, with that sixth pick overall. That's always going to be a hot button issue for Giants fans and me. I think if you were to ask me, because I was very critical of that pick, as many were when it happened. I would say six overall has proven to be a bit rich for Daniel Jones and the player that he has turned out to be. When they say what did, when they say Saquon, Saquon get picked up second or fourth, yeah. like they they're they're winning the games for the guys that are the top ten picks for these last couple of years. Saquon Barkley has at times looked like the best at what he has done in the league. Even if I think that price tag is always going to be too rich for a running back based on the value we've seen other teams get later in the draft at certain positions, Daniel Jones has never been in the conversation for that. So to compare the two and the importance that they've had there relative to the draft picks, like there are, again, issues I had with both players being picked as high as they were. Saquon Barkley has at least been at times looked at as one of the best running backs in the league or close. Daniel Jones is not in that conversation. And again, I don't want to, like you do this to me with these like average quarterbacks that you love trying to elevate beyond something that they are. I don't know why your kink is just average white quarterbacks. Well, I got to because I'm a Ravens fan and I grew up with uh, Kyle Bowler. Oh, that I, is you know that, what? Never mind. I I can't psychoanalysis. That's exactly why this yeah. is happening. You're Adrian predisposed Dilfer, to but, like average whites. And 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 yeah, and, and and Matt Hasselbeck. But outside of that, I, I I've just seen what like Mike. You're you're, you're talking about. I think you're talking about the all twenty two film too much, and I'm talking about like whatever happens, like like in the flow of the game and the thing, and like just the 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 balling, the balling of it. Like you're these just, guys are winning football games. Yeah, but wins aren't a quarterback stat. I, hey, they are when you're talking about these games. They definitely are when you when you're in the business that we're in right now. Well, yeah, I mean, they what, definitely are. Well, well, I would say we're in the business of at times lazily analyzing and reducing quarterback Hell play yeah. down to whose team wins. So there we this go. We'll great. say we'll say the quiet part loud. Speaking of that, Brandon, <laughs> Zach Wilson now four and zero as the Jets quarterback. They get a sixteen nine win over the Broncos. He has only thrown for one touchdown in that time period. So. Uh, Shout out to this Jets defense and to... Man, the real only takeaway I have for this game is if Brees Hall is going to end up lost for the years and there were fears after the game that he had suffered an ACL injury, that's the saddest headline to come... One of the saddest headlines to come from this weekend on the injury front. I had gotten to cover that dude at Iowa State. I knew he was a great athlete, but you just didn't get to see as much of that explosiveness week in and week out because that Iowa State system wasn't really built to produce explosive plays. It was kind of working with lesser talent and and i give matt campbell all the credit in the world made it happen but to see some of the shit that he's put on tape him and sauce gardner on either side of the ball have been as good of rookies offensively and defensively as you'll see in football so i hope we haven't seen the last of him but obviously it seems like that's the fear for the jets right now yeah i love that the the jets draft class is is showing up a first year like this uh obviously Brees hall was like a real deal like he had that huge with 61 yard touchdown run before yeah. he got out this game um i don't know I, it is it is sad to see but it's good to see the jets have a consistent running back again i'm not talking ladalian tomlinson after the chargers i'm talking curtis martin like i, I really do think that Brees hall can be this for the for this uh, for this jets team it is interesting too because i remember they drafted him the year after they took michael carter pretty high out of north carolina and a lot of people were a little yeah. bit stunned by that and spending, you know, draft capital on running backs high enough in the draft 
in consecutive years. Again, we can talk about that as a strategy, but it has netted you a player in an offense that's really helped support Zach Wilson as he gets back into form. So certainly hope that's well, not the last time that we saw him, but uh, he's been sensational. Speaking of Zach Wilson, I had to say this before we get off of this game. Obviously, they beat the Broncos 16-9, uh, to nine, but Zach Wilson, after Brees Hall went out, uh, told said this in the huddle and i love these little uh, quotes from zach wilson i'm going to tell you as long as they get publicized he said take advantage of this opportunity step up time to grow a pair this is my opportunity it's where more money and playing time and things like that come for people uh it comes from these opportunities so i love that uh zach wilson is telling his team on offense to grow a pair that young MILF hunter of his. Like, I, I don't know what's going on between his ears, but I love that everyone else on the Jets team is feeling it. I like that he's workshopping what he thinks, like, heteronormative male leadership looks like in the huddle. Like, this is what I'm supposed to <laughs> that say. Is exactly, that is exactly. He's like this. What were they like in the locker room? Uh, balls, balls, balls. Hey, guys, get in there and grow a pair. Get in there and grab some balls. I mean, grow some balls. Let's do balls. Uh, yeah, the Jets beat the uh, Brett Rippian-led Broncos, who went out and offensively looked about like we had seen for the hurt Russell Wilson Broncos offense. So uh, everyone just needs a little bit more. Yeah, it, I guess uh, Seahawks thirty-seven, Chargers twenty-three. Speaking of just running backs, uh, Kenneth Walker the third, my man, has entered the mm. offensive rookie of the year chat. That is a bad man, and Michigan State's very own, a guy that balled so hard that he helped Mel Tucker get like $95 million in a contract this offseason, um, <laughs> is at it again. And I don't know, man, this Seattle offense is exactly what Pete Carroll has always wanted it to be, and we never thought that would be good enough, but 23 for 168 yards and two touchdowns later for Kenneth Walker – Pete Carroll and his obsession with winning football games the same way he was winning them since the early 2000s seems to be paying off. Mike, I don't know who had the Seahawks pinned to be in the top 10 scoring offense after seven weeks in the NFL season, but you got to trust in Geno Smith. Like I said, this is my spooky Locktober pick of the week. Uh, I think they had uh, – was. Uh, the Seahawks plus five and a half by the game. By the time the game started, I think it moved to plus four and a half. Mike, you gotta believe in Geno, the OG Geno. He's got the Seahawks number one in the NFC West right now. I think the Seahawks had scored 17 points on the Chargers by the first quarter, a quarter where uh, Geno had one of his first interceptions of the season, and they couldn't make any points off of that because the Seahawks' defense is so good. And uh, Tyreek Woodland, uh, the cornerback for them, the rookie, is is balling out of control for the Seahawks. I don't know. Seattle is turning into one of the best stories in football. Yeah, it, it's it, it again. It's proving a lot of people wrong. We know that's been the refrain for Geno, who had to sit for so long, and now feels like he's getting to show people again. Uh, who he is just throwing the shit out of that thing right now it, it's it's hard to look and say a bad thing about the Seahawks coming off this game so we won't and uh, instead we'll move on Brandon to Bengals 35 Falcons 17 um there is a list and shout out to Greg Harvey at between the numbs on Twitter players in recorded NFL history with 450 plus passing yards three plus passing TDs <sighs> 80-plus percent completion percentage and a rushing touchdown in the same game. Joe Burrow from yesterday. That is it. And 
I understand we, we could do the thing where it's the Falcons. I think the Falcons deserve a little more of uh, our respect than they've gotten traditionally, especially on offense Absolutely. this year with how creative they've been. But this Bengals team looked more like, and again, the Falcons defense, maybe not as much newfound respect. But I don't know, Brandon, this just looked a lot more like the Bengals offense we've been used to seeing with Jamar Chase going out and making plays. Those one-on-one effort plays that were, I, I, in my mind, the defining characteristic of that team that made the Super Bowl run. It wasn't a bunch of easy, wide-open throws that ended up being the hallmark of the Bengals' offense. It was one-on-one, our better's better than your better. And when you've got T. Higgins and Jamar Chase in the wide receiver room, that'll happen a little bit more often like it did yesterday. And if you got Joe Burrow's legs up under you. Let's not forget about that big first down he had near the end of that game where the game was kind of put away. He... It was a quarterback draw after he had been torching them uh, with obviously 450 plus yards passing. Uh, I, I just think Joe Burrow is one of those gamers. He's the, he's that guy that is the reason why, like we said, the Bengals like showed up in the Super Bowl out of nowhere. But he kind of fell off, and we were like, "Oh, he's getting sacked a bunch," and you know we, we don't have to worry about him. I guess we do have to worry about the Bengals because right now, for me, looking at the uh, the whole NFL, there's no question that the Bengals are better than the Ravens. And I'm glad we got that win over them, but I'm afraid the next time we got to see them. Yeah, I, I think that's what it's going to become, right, is we kind of did the thing where we left them for dead early in the season based on what we saw in that early sample size, and they're getting the time yeah. to you know go to therapy and do the work on themselves, and it's starting to trend in that direction where, at the very least now, the AFC North is firmly like a toss-up between them and Baltimore, depending on who figured this out first. And they're trending in a better direction. Baltimore started hot and seems to be coming back down to earth. The Ravens, or excuse me, the Bengals are at least on an upward trajectory here. Um, Brandon, uh, Raiders 38, Texans 20. Josh Jacobs, 441 rushing yards in his last three games. You talked about someone else. We mentioned this with Daniel Jones, who didn't get their fifth-year option picked up. It didn't seem like the Raiders had been all in on him. Mm-hmm. It becomes an interesting position because you could say, all right, you're going to get one last good season out of him, and then you're going to turn it over to, you know, uh, the Zaire Smith, I think, is the running back out of Georgia that they took um, that they like in that spot. Um, or maybe it's Zamir Smith. I apologize if I'm fucking up his name. But um, it, we haven't ever really talked his name much because, again, Josh Jacobs has been out here balling the last few games. You either get to cut him loose and he'll go sign money somewhere else for someone and maybe this is truly like a one-year flash-in-the-pan type thing with him, or right. you can end up going out because he's not going to be a market setter at running back. He's not going to be in close in those conversations that now Saquon Barkley is probably going to be up and around again based on the production mm-hmm. for this season. Okay. You might be able to get yeah. him back if you're the Raiders and you decide, all right, we made a mistake with that one hand up on that. That was our mistake. Signing a running back to uh, one of these smaller extensions that's closer to like the Derrick Henry deal in the yeah. middle of their careers, in the middle of their 20s, and getting that there. And you'd be getting to that a year sooner than the fifth-year option. If you can get to that and get it at a decent number, might not be the worst thing in the world because right now he's been a huge part of the identity of this team up the middle. He has, Mike, but when you're not winning the games, I feel like everyone is kind of still up for – for grabs, I imagine Derek Carr may be safe because Devontae Adams came here to play with him. But as good as Josh Jacobs is look, I feel like one of the reasons why he hasn't got the extension is that this, his play isn't leading to the winning. Well, he hasn't gotten the... It, 
it's a new staff that's come in here. It's a new regime. Like, Brandon, of course, he's a running back. It's not always going to be like that. Like, I hear, yeah, but it's just, listen, I'm a Josh Jacobs fan. I think him and David Montgomery, when they both came in the draft, I thought one of the two, I thought they were going to be like the two premier running backs in the NFL. Uh, I think I like David Montgomery a little bit more than I like uh, Josh Jacobs now, but they're still kind of one and one. But I just, it, it's not that crazy now. 2017, I feel like Ty Gurley and all those, like the running back position was looked at differently, especially from a financial standpoint. Now they're thinking about putting wide receivers back there. So I I really do think that this is just indicative of where the market is and less of his play. Yeah. I mean, again, it would, it would have to be really the right number or else you just let him walk and you count on the fact that you can go and make it work back there. And that Devontae Adams being in your wide receiver room is going to offer you up lighter box looks because you've got to be more worried about Darren Waller and Devontae Adams and the rest of that receiver core that they've put together. Um, Titans 19, Colts 10. Brandon, uh, not really impressed by either of these teams despite being the only matchup of teams over 500 going into the weekend. The, the Titans, I will say, at least looked like themselves, right? You won games with Jeffrey Simmons and that defense going and getting after the quarterback. You won that game with Derrick Henry getting over the century mark for, I think, the third week in a row. It all looked familiar, and so I'll give them the credit of at least saying they win to an identity, and that's how they've done this, even if we think Ryan Tannehill and them hit their ceiling last year, and it's not ever going to be as good as that, especially because you're in the AFC. They get the credit for that. The Colts, you know, you had more bad Matt, or you had more, excuse me, bad Matt, Ryan, bad Matt Ryan in this game with the pick six that was a huge swing in the balance of power in this game. We thought that maybe they had been trending in the upward direction, and that took a little bit of a step back. Yeah, uh, talking about quarterbacks that lose their security blanket, uh, Ryan Tannehill lost A.J. Brown, and we've seen uh, real uh, real signs of that. But I just think the real story leaving this game was the Colts have become an AARP program for quarterbacks because Matt Ryan turned the ball over twice for the fourth time this season, and I just feel like he may be a coach in high school football like Phillip Rivers in 2023 or 2024. I just It just doesn't seem like – the Colts have found their answer yet at quarterback. And uh, I think I, I looked up during the game who their backup was. We're not ready for him either. I, I, can't, I can't remember who. <laughs> to remember I think it's, who it's was. Sam Ellinger, isn't it? Yeah, Sam, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the Texas, Texas quarterback. Yeah. Right. It's right. We've said some of the uh, issues for the Colts have been like protection means having a quarterback who's not very mobile behind you while you've had some protection issues is usually going to be a recipe for disaster. See what we've seen at times for Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady and how that's affected him. So there's certainly uh, something that's a part of that. Uh, Brandon, last one, Sunday Night Football, uh, Dallas or the Dolphins 16, Steelers 10, as we get both Tua Tungavailoa and Kenny Pickett back from head injuries. Obviously, Tua's was the much more publicized one and the scary incident after Thursday Night Football being taken off in an ambulance. Did you hold your breath like everyone talked about it? And I understand we talked about how this is a violent sport and we all probably need to reckon with that a lot more. Still, the first couple times held my breath as Tua on some of these scramble situations just lowering his shoulder, trying to lower the boom on guys in the open field. Like, dude, that would be ill-advised for a quarterback normally who's our franchise guy who, forget even the head injury stuff, came into the league dealing with injury problems after having his hip break like a car accident when he was at Alabama at the end of his career. Mm -hmm. The advice for most quarterbacks from most coordinators and coaches would be, hey, man, slide. Let's live to fight another day. 
Tua clearly came back looking like he had something to prove to everybody that he was going to be good, and maybe to himself. Maybe he needed to go out there and fly around and play freely in order to feel like he was back, but it didn't make it any less uncomfortable to watch. I don't know, Mike. You should be nervous about quarterbacks who say they're going to do something. But like they're in the the like this week is the focus, and then when the game comes out there, they just do everything uh, normally again. Like Tua said, he was going to try to focus on like the Russell Wilsons of the world, focus on not running, uh, not rushing uh, so much as a quarterback, and trying to you know air the ball out. And then this game comes, Mike. I wasn't wincing so much at him tucking the ball and running. I was wincing at every throw. I was wincing at a lot of things that Tua did during this game, and it wasn't what. You got an issue with that? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, especially at the, what are you talking about with every throw? Because at the beginning of this game, I would argue he looked really good. I'll say it like Mike Tomlin said it. The difference in this game is the Steelers dropped their interceptions and the Dolphins caught theirs. Is that is that is that, is that does that let you know it's, what Tua was out there doing? It is it is it is true. But again, for his first game back from all this, I thought there was still plenty of the good out there. Now you can fall back on the scripted plays at the beginning, which man, Mike McDaniel can write himself a script. They came out there yes. and beat the shit out of Pittsburgh in those first couple of drives. And we saw what this offense will look like what it's at its best is Tua working in the RPO passing game there to Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Mm-hmm. Like that that stuff went accessible. You saw parts of this DNA that really are super 49ers-ish when they got up under center, when they brought in gold in, they ran a bunch of the outside zone stuff and legitimately helped work Pittsburgh off the ball. So I want to give them some credit for that what they did executing at the beginning. Because again, Tua had also like missed a bunch of time and he's a young player who that's been the consistent through line for him is missing time. There's been no consistency or continuity, even to his best seasons. And when Tua, think about how Tua got his career started as a starter. He was inserted midway through a season where Ryan Fitzpatrick was top five in QBR in the NFL and came in in that environment. He spent all of last year with the team flirting with trading for Deshaun Watson around the trade deadline. Nothing about this has been solid ground for this person to build on I mean you could start from the beginning of his career in Alabama where he had to come in in a national championship game and 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 save Jalen Hurts or, or whatever was going on with that like I I hear what you're saying Mike but the availability thing for Tua is the reason why I wasn't big on Tua when he was coming out of the draft because he's somebody who when he gets nicked up or gets beat up a little bit which he has a, a tendency of doing you see it the rest of the season. You don't just see it the rest of the game. You don't see it the rest of the quarter. It seems like that whatever those injuries that are that he sustains seems to affect everything that he does. Um, but I just think in an offense that uh, the Dolphins spent all their time trying to retool that offense in the postseason and uh, are yeah. in the in the offseason, and I think they did a good enough job at that. Still, it's the defense that's the most fun uh, position uh, side of the ball to watch for this Miami Dolphins team. They got to go up against another rookie. Kenny Pickett, um, I saw someone say, managed to throw two game-sealing interceptions in this game, which was really impressive. Um, (laughs) Well, because Tua was so bad, he gave the ball right back to them. I will say this for Kenny Pickett. I, um, I thought he looked pretty composed for the most part in this game, especially when they got into two minute drill. When the ball comes out on time for him, he made good decisions there. He can certainly extend plays a little bit. Kenny Pickett's problem is he is still learning where his limits are. 
Like he's trying to play. So for anyone that's not aware, and I think they mentioned it in the broadcast last night, but really the Pittsburgh Panthers were Kenny Pickett played college football and the Pittsburgh Steelers share a building. Like their buildings are separated by a wall inside and the South side on Carson street in Pittsburgh. And so when they go back out in the practice fields, you see them there all the time. Like they're, they're very used to each other. And for Kenny Pickett, they were very used to watching Kenny Pickett and pocket and college scramble around, make some YOLO throws down the field. Him and Jordan Addison had a great connection on a bunch of deep balls. And he got to cut it loose in a way that Pittsburgh's offense and college would desperately like to go back to outside of their head coach this season, getting to the NFL. Now he's trying to do too much of that stuff while having a skill set that just is not capable. He does not have a very strong arm. He is not overly fast. He's just mobile enough. And so I admire the confidence of where he tries to fit some balls in. I admire the fact that he you know, is trying to go out here and make plays and seemingly is doing them processing, understanding where he's going with that. If he's able to learn his limits, there might be a good quarterback in here. And that's always the difference, right? Can he go out here and, you know, to, you know, that saying to be old and wise at first, you've got to be young and dumb. If he can be young and dumb for a little mm-hmm. bit here in the name of saying, all right, I'm confident in myself. I'm going to go out here and try and execute in the way that's worked for me. And to then learn, all right, here's the areas where I'm just not physically gifted enough to make these plays. Maybe there's something there because the rest of it and the way he operated that offense as a young guy outside of the turnovers, which I know that's a big outside of, but as a rookie, I'd like to see someone taking risks and making mistakes, knowing that this is about long-term development. It just doesn't seem like there's like a veteran presence on that offense. And if your veteran presence is Chase Claypool, you're, you may be in a little trouble when it comes to, you know, how, how to manage things uh, the clock after, after you down the ball. Uh, But I think he needs to lean on Chase Claypool a little bit more. He needs to find his security blanket uh, to kind of help the cap his limitations the way, you know, Lamar Jackson has with, with Mark Andrews. Uh, I, I do think that Kenny Pickett is the future for the Steelers. I don't know if they're going to get in a position where they're trying to find another quarterback because I have seen enough that it's like you, you miss every shot you don't take. Like Kenny Pickett isn't – going to miss no like he's going to he's going to get the ball's going to get caught like he's going to throw that thing and it's going to be a catchable ball one thing about Kenny Pickett and you're right in his first game where he was he threw 13 passes 10 of which were caught by the Steelers and three of which were caught by the other team he is going to take those shots rest assured you don't got to worry about him missing shots he won't take you got to worry about him missing the many shots that he will take but uh Brandon that is uh one time I Probably a few more than one thoughts in all those games, but we're not perfect and we don't claim to be. Um, before we give out some roses here on a Monday, Brandon, someone who might be perfect for you heading into the rest of your sports watching season, as we've had a couple of those sports equinoxes where you've got every sport at play in one day, uh, our friends over at yes. Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app that continues to give you the lowest price on tickets to all your favorite sporting events, concerts, and shows are here to help you want to be in the stands for let's say the world series that we're getting ready to talk about getting going soon here the nhl season getting going going and watching a bad lakers team right now you can go on this uh game time app and very easily look where you're at geographically find the menu items of games and events that are available in your area and then even take a look not only at extremely low prices for these but a view of the seat that you will eventually occupy you can see your view from the seat inside the app checkout takes less than 30 seconds it is a breeze it is so easy to use and it's going to help you out down the rest of this sports season in this fall so download the game time app create an account 
And then redeem with promo code GOJO for $20 off your first purchase. Again, GOJO for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Download game time. Last minute tickets. Lowest prices guaranteed. Brandon, last week we forgot to give out roses at the beginning of this pod or in the middle of this Monday podcast. Um, we're going to do it again this week because we remember it because we are smart, we are capable, and we believe that consistency is important. Uh, so the NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brandon and I are going to honor the Bachelor and Bachelorette tradition of giving out roses to people who we enjoyed from over the weekend. Performances on the field, off the field, in sports or otherwise. And Brandon, I will go first. Um, I mentioned being at Penn State this weekend. I want to give a rose out to the nameless photographer who tackled a streaker on the field during this game. Videos ended up leaking onto the internet, but in the third quarter of this game a fan from the Penn State student section ran down onto the field, attempted to do the Cristiano Ronaldo celebration where you do the jump up and the kind of whole thing. Juju Smith-Schuster did it in the Chiefs game as well, but went out there. He's a bigger guy. He was, a, you know, a, he was probably a former high school offensive lineman, and he's okay. running around out there for, you know, quite a bit of time, and none of the security people are going that way, so some vigilante uh, photographer who had the bib on on the sideline that you see with people that are down there working the game ran out there and managed to like lasso him and get him to the ground and like any good defender allowed his teammates in the cavalry to come and make a play the security came out after and tackled buddy and took him off guy's shirt got ripped off in the process the crowd was loving it but shout out to that photographer for getting it done I said it on the broadcast and I'll say it again now I am hopeful that Nicole Arbach college football writer over at The Athletic, will be able to continue her proud tradition that she does better than anybody else of finding the obscure fans and characters around college sports and managing to land the exclusive interview. It always takes that one person, Mike, that one brave soul. It's like, you know what? Let's put it into this. It was Bobby Wagner a few year, a few weeks ago in the NFL. It was this brave photographer with a very expensive camera, I'm imagining. He left the camera uh, on the sideline, so he was smart enough to do that. Okay. Okay, okay. Who's your first rose going to, Brandon? Um, my first rose is going to go to a defensive player, Mike. DB for the Miami Dolphins. And you're going to help me out with this last name. Noah. Igbenogany. Noah. Igbenogany. Guys, Noah Igbenogany made the game-clinching interception in Sunday Night Football. 
picking off Kenny Pickett where he probably could have ran and got out of bounds and kept that drive going. And maybe the Steelers won that game if that had happened. Instead, he decided to take the shots that we're talking about, throw it to the end zone. Uh, uh, I think Washington was there waiting for him. And you got Noah making his first interception of his career. Uh, the DBs uh, putting their stamp on the game. Uh, in a very real way and winning it for the Dolphins. It was just nice to see, Mike. It was just nice to see. And it's also great to see somebody just yeah, just get their first interception. I love it. It's just nice. It's just it's just nice. It's just nice. Well, you know what, Brandon? Rose, Noah. In the in the interest of being nice, then I will also do this because I feel like so many of the headlines around this team have been negative this offseason. And this player is one that's always very interesting and difficult to talk about. Uh, this rose will go to Chris Paul, who got his 11,000th assist Ooh. as the Phoenix Suns beat the Clippers 112 to 95 on Sunday night. And Chris Paul is someone that I think we wax and wane between calling a top five point guard of all time, I think rightly based on what he's accomplished, and also not loving the fact mm. that he seems to always, even going back to his time at Wake Forest, be hitting people in the nuts. And so. This man contains multitudes. He also dishes out multitudes. He's been a huge, important leadership piece of the Suns team that hopefully DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams just figure this out and talk this thing through because this Suns team is one that could still be pretty interesting in the West if they did. 06, rookie of the year, Chris Paul. He joined John Stockton and Jason Kidd as the only players in NBA history with 11,000 assists. He's also the first player in the league with 20,000 points and 11,000 assists. So a pretty unassailable resume for Chris Paul if he would just stop hitting people in the dick. Yeah, yeah, and disappearing in the fourth quarter. Uh, But neither here nor there. Uh, Roses for me, Mike. My last one, stick with football. Taylor Heineke. Taylor Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke. Heineke. Will you accept this rose? 20 for 31. Two touchdowns and an interception. Outplayed Aaron Rodgers. The reason why uh, the Packers are sitting there looking at themselves wondering what the hell just happened is because they lost to the Washington Commanders not by Carson Wentz's hand, by Taylor Heineke's shorthand the backup that's just waiting for his opportunity. Uh, they he, he led for a comeback in the third quarter. Helped them win in the fourth. He had a couple of big plays. The biggest part of this game, though, Mike, for me, is that every game that he plays, 60% of the snaps or more, he gets a uh, – let me let me look at the bonus. Money. Oh, he he's, a, he's got a fun contract $125,000. He got a $125,000 bonus every time he plays more than 60% of the snaps. And he says that every time he does, he celebrates by buying a pair of Jordans and usually in the opposing team's colors, Mike. So he has a pair of Jordans coming in the Packers' colors, and he says he might buy them for the entire team for this win. So uh, shout-out to Taylor Heineke, uh, dripping down a sneakerhead, using that bonus money for all the right reasons. And he's just a dog, Mike. Talking about people have dogs in them, no one talks about the dogs in Taylor Heineke's chest enough. Well, I think we did for a long time, and then you realize that, again, that dog has limitations to its bite as opposed to its bark. And ah, here he goes. And I'm just saying, like, you know, he does. I'm going to stand up for these mediocre white quarterbacks, even if you won't, and you on the offense side of the ball. Taylor Heineke's football game is best described as a grease pig playing quarterback because he seems to wriggle out of every bad situation he finds himself in somehow, some way. So, Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, those are roses at Gojo Show on Twitter if you would like to give out any, if we missed anything from over the weekend. But Brandon, uh, speaking of over the weekend, a uh, little bit of celebration for you before we get to this, that, and the third. Brandon Newman's Spooky Locktober Underdog Play of the Weekend is now 2-1 and one on the yes. season, on the yes. month here. Yes. Seahawks plus five at the Los Angeles Chargers. So congratulations to you. Good sir. Um, Thank you. I did not fare quite as well. College football picks over the weekend. UCLA plus six and Ole Miss plus two. Both L's on that one. Oregon stomped the shit out of UCLA at home. And then Ole Miss lost to LSU, who is quietly six and two and ranked back in the top 25 right now. Brian Kelly's kind of got that thing rolling down there. Um, Texas versus Oklahoma over 60 and a half. Almost cashed in the first half. That one was sure and true. And then... I won't count it, but I ended up putting UNLV plus 26 on my ticket, and that one also ended up cashing. Notre Dame got the win there, and I just said has not yes. gotten to a place where they deserve to be favored by 26 points over anybody. And so made some money off that, emotionally hedging. Didn't want to say it in public and sound like a hater before, but just like Russell Westbrook eating that hot dog on the bench, I went over and threw money on that and made it in silence this weekend uh nfl we got a chance to go for a clean sweep jets plus one and cowboys minus seven both cashed as winners and bears patriots coming up tonight the over under got it at 40 for that so if that cashes we will go three and oh for the first time college or pro this season and that'll be a big boost because uh again so far it'd been rough 15 25 and two on the season so that's is our gambling weekend review here. Brandon, with all that being said, uh, do you know what time it is? Good, sir. I think I do, Mike. I think I do. Last full week of October. Oh, wow, it is. Oh. Halloween's next Monday, Mike, so get ready. But as of now, Hey, 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 hey! That girl is pretty wild now. This, that, and the third. That kind of girl you read about. This, that, and the third. That girl is pretty kinky. This, that, and the third. I really like to taste her. This, that, and the third. She's alright. She's alright. That girl's alright with me. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey! All right. I like the energy here, man. She's a super freak. Super freak. She's super freaky. God damn it. It had been so long since I stepped on the end of this one. I should have known. I should have known. It is the last week of October. That's insane. That fast, baby. That fast. Uh, Great energy here. At Gojo Show on Twitter. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts as well leave us a five-star rating and tell brandon how super freaky and wonderful his this that and thirds have been so far in this month well i, I you commented on on how i didn't use this that and the third enough so i forced it in this one over and over again even though i just wanted to say super freak so bad that's why i had to step on you in the end because i had to get super freak in there super freaky y'all listen i'm i'm not here to 
I'm not here to meaningfully question your message to just send subtle barbs <laughs> to take shots at your confidence <laughs> along the way. Um, of course. Brandon, uh, let's get to this. Uh, we got a World Series set. Uh, the Astros and the Phillies. Man are going to meet in the World Series that will get started on Friday of this week. For the Astros, it is their fourth World Series appearance in six years, and they have not lost this postseason. They completed their sweep of the Yankees, and it was... Score-wise, this last one was close. The Yankees had a couple of good shots here. Um, ba uh, Master Bader, uh, who had been great for them in this postseason, Shout once out. again, uh, the best hitting weapon on this team during the postseason, but... Uh, yeah, that one wasn't overly close. And then you have the Phillies on the other side, Brandon. So sort of the total opposite in how this is framed. The Phillies made the new expanded postseason. So they were the last team to make uh, the postseason in the National League with just 87 wins. They ended the second longest playoff drought in the majors behind the, Se uh, the Seattle Mariners playoff drought that got ended this postseason as well. But like... They snuck in the back door here. They are just the sixth team since divisional play started in 1969 to also reach the World Series after a managerial change. Remember, they were 22 and 29 when they fired when uh, Rob Thompson replaced Joe Girardi in the middle of this season. So, on one side, you have a team that's been one of the dominant forces of baseball in this decade and survived a cheating scandal put Dusty Baker at the helm for this team and came out on the other side still caving people's heads in and have a chance to cement themselves and continue to cement themselves as the dynasty of this era going up against a Phillies team that was not supposed to be here. And if it were in an old playoff format, literally would not be here. And so if you're Major League Baseball, you can feel pretty validated in the fact that the postseason format that you have been trying to go ahead and push into here because you wanted to get more into postseason baseball. It's kind of like when you had the play-in tournaments in the NBA net you some pretty immediate results and got people excited. Having the Phillies as a representative in the World Series is one indicative of how wild baseball is that you can play all these games over the course of a long season and they can end up not meaning a whole lot of shit when it gets to this point in time in the year, but also adding more of these teams provides opportunities for this and for fan bases like this, which I'm sure if you're Rob Manfred and company that you like here. Also, shout out to Bryce Harper had what'll be the iconic moment. If the Phillies are to pull this off, maybe there's going to be some moment from the World Series that ends up topping that, but I'd imagine if they were to put together a Phillies championship DVD, that Bryce Harper two-run shot in the bottom of the eighth probably ends up making the cut on that. It's what you brought Bryce over here to do. Everyone talks about his knack for big situations. Um, he had batted 400 with two homers and five RBI during the NLCS and had that moment to cap it off that I hope someone has already in Philadelphia set to dreams and nightmares by Meek Mill because that feels like the Philadelphia rite of passage it deserves. Yeah, Mike, I feel like that's where everyone's at right now in Philly. Like as much as... I'm excited for Phillies fans and everyone in, in Philadelphia. I just feel like now there's going to be un, undue pressure on the rest of those uh, Philly sports teams. The Eagles that are already one of the best teams in the NFL. The uh, Sixers who are dealing with James Harden having a full season uh, with Joel Embiid. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of Mount Joy's lead singer that we had on this podcast, Matt uh do you remember his last name? I'm trying to. I'm thinking about him a lot, though. Matt Quinn. 
Matt Quinn. Matt Quinn, yes, yes. I'm thinking about Matt Quinn and his all those uh, childhood memories tied to Philly sports moments and, and the importance there. So I am happy for the city because I do feel like everyone talks about Boston and things like that. I feel like Philly is one of those sports teams or sports towns that I root for, that everyone can kind of root for because they've had these droughts. Uh, I would debate Philly's rootability for outside fan bases just because – of that really? fan. Well, I think that fan base has a perception, and it's not one that I ascribe to. Like, my dad played for six years for the Eagles. I love that city. I, I think it's a great sports True, town, yeah. but it doesn't have the best reputation with other fan bases, and they're perfectly fine with that. They don't want other fan bases to like them. They want them to like them, and so that'll be exciting. We'll obviously get plenty more coverage on that. We'll get to talk to some of our friends about what to expect in the World Series coming up, but Brandon... Um, what you can do in the meantime to make sure you're looking good and feeling good for the World Series is peep our friends over at Knock Around Sunglasses. Uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. the dugout special edition sunglasses that have been great for this postseason. Special designs there for polarized sunglasses that cost right around $30 a pair. And if you don't like the sunglasses they've made up for you already, Knock Around's got plenty in the custom shop, 15 different frames, tons of colors. You have over a billion possible combinations that you can kick around in the custom shop. So if you want to get them for your favorite team, if you want a Phillies pair of sunglasses, you want an Astros pair of sunglasses, which, man, oh, man, outside of Houston, you want to talk about a team that's hard to root for. I can't imagine there are many people getting ready to support them. But if you want to, Knock Around will support you in your endeavors. Knock Around sunglasses are high-quality polarized sunglasses at a truly affordable price. And right now, our listeners get 20% off. Go to knockaround.com, enter code GOJO, get 20% off. It is that easy. Knockaround.com, promo code GOJO, 20% off. Uh, Brandon, let's get to that. And uh, that is uh, our checkup on the Lakers being bad. Uh, I know we probably won't spend much time on regular season NBA as we've already got guys out and unfortunately injured and, you know, all, all that stuff. But uh, the Lakers lost 106 to 104 to the Trailblazers and benched Russell Westbrook for the final three possessions of that game. The Lakers were um, six of 33 from three point land uh, on the day. This seems like it's going to get really uncomfortable really soon. I think we're there, Mike. I don't, I don't think it's Darvin Ham's fault. Um, I don't want to put blame anywhere. But if I had to, it would be Russell Westbrook. Mike, the, the, the shot that he took, the last shot he took in regulation was egregious. Uh, LeBron James did one of his throw-up-the-hands motions like uh, when J.R. Smith uh, wouldn't try to dribble the ball out in that uh, game one or game two of that NBA Finals back in the day against the Warriors. It, it's one, it was that moment, Mike, where everyone had their hands up or their hands in their head. And I don't know if Russell Westbrook is watching film on himself, but if he is, it's going to be hard to come back from this one. I'm trying to find the exact... Oh, yeah, here it is. Mark J. Spears, the basketball writer over at ESPN. Russell Westbrook has shot 4 of 26 from uh, in his last two games per Elias. That's tied for the worst field goal percentage over any two-game span by a Lakers player in the last 50 years with a minimum of 25 field goal attempts. Do you know the player that he is tied with, Brandon? I could probably guess correctly. Um, 15 years, 50 years, mm, last 50 Five years. Zero. I was going to say, okay. Uh, meta world piece. No, he is tied with himself from January of last season. It's not sweet out here, Brandon. 
What's the third? What's the, what's the, what's the, uh, the third? The third is actually super interesting. Um, so this weekend we talked about Chiefs and 49ers, and the Chiefs it ended up being a blowout by the end of that game, and so they got Jimmy Garoppolo and some of those guys out of there at the end and ended up putting in former Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy into that game. Brock Purdy, who ended up going out and completing a 20-yard pass to Ray Ray McLeod, made history in that moment. Really? Made history in that moment. So Brock Purdy was the final pick in the NFL draft in the season that he was drafted. Yes, Mr. Yeah, he was he was Mr. Irrelevant. Mr. Irrelevant. There have only been seven quarterbacks drafted in the final pick of the draft. Since 1936, seven quarterbacks have been Mr. Irrelevant. Now, obviously, that's been different different years. The draft used to be a lot longer, like when my dad was getting drafted and all that, mm-hmm. versus the seven rounds that we have now. Chad Kelly is the only other one, the Broncos quarterback out of Ole Miss in 2018, to even play in a regular season game. And he had one rush for negative one yards Mm -hmm. in that. Brock Purdy becomes the first Mr. Irrelevant quarterback to complete a pass in an NFL game. That is insane. And also so disrespectful considering how decent and good he was at Iowa State. But good for him. Yeah, I think that a lot of people were surprised. And listen, the things after 2020, that 21 season for Iowa State was a lot less cute. Fell off a little bit more. But the talent in that room, I mean, we talked about Brees Hall who was on that team. Brock Purdy who was on that team. There's Charlie Kohler who's a tight end who I believe was a guy that got drafted off that team. There's going to be multiple pros from that offense from that year. And so you can question him falling there, but uh, an historic occasion where Mr. Irrelevant now gets to go out here and enjoy his day in the sun. Uh, He ended up in this game for what it's worth, uh, I believe, throwing nine throws for 66 yards and an interception. So he made sure what he was going to be the first. He was going to, to quote our friend Torian Smith, some people say act like you've been there before. Brock Purdy acted like he was never going back and made sure he got the full experience in that game. Uh, We hope you got the full experience on this podcast on an NFL Monday. If you enjoyed it, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Michael Jr. playlist. Thanks so much. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Pray for the over. We'll talk to you tomorrow.